every day brings up its new challenges and every day we we see the impact increasing from uh, farmers to health issues to people on the street schools you know and communities that are surrounding forest regions it just shows that there's still so much work to be done when it comes to awareness raising education capacity building and uh, other things around climate solving the climate crisis Welcome to Renew Our World podcast. Renew Our World is a global movement of Christians who believe in helping one another, calling for justice and caring for creation. Join us this season as we'll be discussing the latest in climate news, chatting with theologians, activists, and some of our incredible members and friends working on the ground. I am your host, Jessica Wally. Welcome to today's episode of uh, the Renew Our World podcast with your host, Jessica Wally. Today, I am having a round table conversation with uh, amazing people that are doing amazing works. And uh, on the call today, I have a uh, promise from Nigeria. I have uh, Collins from Zambia. I have Matthias from Germany. I have uh, Cyprian from uh, Kenya, and I also have Ewi from Cameroon. So these are the amazing people that are on uh, this uh, uh, conversation today. I will start by introducing Ewi. Hi, Ewi. How are you? And uh, thank you for joining uh, this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm how is... Uh, how is Cameroon, Ewi? Uh, could you share with us the climate situation? How is, uh, how is the face of climate change in Cameroon? Yes, um, well, Cameroon is fine. I'm actually now at the University of Boya, where I am taking my PhD program in natural resource and environmental management. And uh, taking the situation of Boya, which had been a very cold environment over the years if you are here now you will notice that it's so sunny and everywhere is deeply hot and before at this time of the year people will be all in sweatshirt and jackets and all that but on campus you realize everyone is wearing either t-shirts or uh, uh, short sleeve blouses and all just because the heat is uh, exceedingly uh, too much. And it's not only with Boya, but you uh, in Limbe, where I'm based, we have uh, the sea, which used to bring in a lot of fresh air. But Limbe has become hot over the years as well. And we're having a lot of uh, water scarcity in Limbe. We need to go kilometers to get water to be able to take care of our day-to-day life activities. For example, in uh, where my apartment, it's been like three weeks and I've not had water flowing. So I need to go a long way to get water. And trees, that it's a sad situation because um, aside that, uh, I've been working with my team to plant trees in some potential areas in Limbe. But a few days back, I realized 
that um, there's a lot to still be done with the communities because the trees that were planted along the road were actually burned down by bushfire. And I don't think it was very intentional by the person who owned the farm around the area. But I think uh, with more sensitization, we could have been able to, to handle situations as such. Uh, therefore, the climate issue in Limbe and Boya is growing by the day, changing seasons, changing weather conditions. And also we've had floods which have impacted lives and caused landslides in some communities where we've lost farmlands, lost lives and much more. Every day brings up its new challenges and every day we we begin, we see the, the impacts increasing by the time from uh, farmers to uh, health issues to uh, people on the street, schools, you know, and communities that are surrounding forest regions. So we get all of that on a daily basis. And the, it just shows that there's still so much work to be done when it comes to awareness raising, education, capacity building, and uh, other things around climate, solving the climate crisis in one way or the other, especially with loss and damage and climate finance. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Ewi. It's uh, really amazing to hear how uh, climate change is actually uh, affecting people like in different parts of the world and hearing that uh, picture uh, from uh, Cameroon is uh, uh, quite sad, I should actually put it. And also, uh, I should make mention that uh, this conversation is being had over uh, a virtual meeting. So I have uh, had to bring all these amazing people in one place virtually, which is amazing. At least we get to hear uh, their stories from uh, the different parts of the world that they are from. Let me bring in Mateus. Mateus, um, Welcome to uh, the podcast. Let's look at how Germany looks like today when it comes to uh, climate change. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Matthias. I'm with the World Evangelical Alliance Sustainability Center based in Bonn in Germany. I co-direct this center together with my colleague, Dr. Chris Elizara, who's based in San Diego in California. We are working with the global evangelical community in two ways. On the one hand, <coughs> we are <coughs> communicating evangelical beliefs and also projects, actions on the ground to the UN level. We are contributing voices to global conversations on sustainability, on creation care. On the other hand, we are communicating to the global evangelical community what the UN is actually dealing with in sustainability. It's a very technical language most of the time. Sometimes it's uh, hard to understand the processes. We've also touched upon these points in this podcast. So where are we actually in climate change uh, efforts um, to break this down and to explain it uh, to the, I always say, ordinary believer uh, for his and her life in a community this is the second mandate of the Sustainability Center. With regards to Germany, you might have heard in world news that we had a big clash between climate activists and uh, the police and the well, um, state authorities um, this week. 
uh, around a little village of Lützerath. That's the name. It's in the far west of Germany. It's on the edge of one of big, uh, Germany's biggest coal mines, and it is currently being cleared and is set to be removed um, by one of Germany's biggest energy companies who's uh, planning to dig out the coal that lies beneath that little village. And um, you might wonder why there's such a big fuss around um, a village of seven buildings only, um, but it kind of uh, became a national symbol, but also beyond Germany, an international symbol of um, the fight against climate change and the fight between different interests. So I want to focus in my first intervention on Lützerath. I've been there myself on Tuesday night. I've seen um, the climate activists who were preparing for a week-long struggle to hold onto this little village. And I've seen the massive police presence there, hundreds and hundreds of um, police uh, men and women who um, gathered uh, to start the uh, clearance of the area. And um, the problem is that um, below this uh, village, we have millions of tons of coal that uh, in the calculation of um, Germany's energy companies is needed to um, uphold Germany's energy security and um, to uh, ensure that there's enough electricity for uh, this country, for the citizens, but also for industry. The climate activists, on the other hand, say, um, well, this coal is not needed anymore. Um, it is a, a wrong calculation. Um, we um, want to phase out coal in Germany, and um, this is just a buffer um, that is actually not uh, really needed. So uh, why, do we, uh, why do we remove another village? Uh, why do we further um, destroy God's creation in this part of the country? Why do we um, resettle people um, just for the sake of uh, energy interests on the fossil side? Um, so that's currently to give you a little picture of what's happening in Germany. And uh, we do have the uh, political commitment um, to phase out coal by 2030, uh, which is on the one hand a, a good thing. On the other hand, um, the climate activists say, well, 2030 is uh, still seven years away. How can we be sure that um, if now this village is uh, destroyed, that um, politics will not uh, break another promise uh, and, um, and prolong the use of fossil fuels beyond 2030? Um, so this is actually where we are at the moment in um, Germany. It really exemplifies um, this uh, fight, uh, also an ideological fight that is currently taking place. And obviously it raises a lot of questions, um, how much protest and opposition is needed um, to really um, take uh, the side of nature and of God's creation and um, defend and protect God's creation against uh, energy interests, uh, especially the traditional fossil fuel-based energy interests. Um, but also, where do we have a red line? How much of um, civil disobedience is, um, uh, is, is appropriate? Um, how much uh, force are you really allowed 
to to use if um, confronted by other interests. Um, so all of these questions are currently at stake here in Germany. Uh, we are also wrestling with these um, questions. It's not easy questions. Um, it's a it's a tension, as you can imagine, and you have to find your way through this day by day. Also, uh, in view of new facts and figures and realities coming up. Um, so this is a snapshot of where we are in Germany. Back to you, Jessica. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Matthias, for that uh, uh, update. And also when you talk about the issues of fossil fuels, these are uh, very, very critical, very, very sensitive conversations around climate change. So uh, thank you so much uh, for just updating us on how Germany looks like in the face of climate change. Uh, let me go to uh, Promise. Promise is from Nigeria. Uh, Promise, how does climate change uh, look like in Nigeria today? All right, so my name is Promise Alao, and uh, I work with Tearfund in Nigeria. Um, I supervise um, the environmental and economic sustainability projects. Um, I coordinate the projects run by Tearfund partners, about five of them. Um, I also um, work with um, youth movement groups um, around the issues of climate change. I, <clears throat> I'm also the one responsible for the Renewal Award campaign here in Nigeria. Nigeria is uh, it's a very complex um, state, um, given that um, it's, it's the largest um, country in Africa. Um, also, known for its oil production um, and again um, known for its huge huge natural gas reserve um, very interestingly in the past um, in the past 10 years nigeria is beginning to experience the the impact of climate change um, in different regions um, and in different ways um, again, this is because of how large the country is. Uh, so in different regions, there are experiences of um, extreme rainfall, the experiences of, um, of droughts in certain regions. And in other regions, it's pretty much a mix. So I, I live in just Plateau State. Um, it's, it's a hilly state, and um, um, Plateau State is known to be very, very cold, very, very cold. At uh, this time of the year, we usually will be experiencing up to two degrees, um, sometimes even one degree. Uh, we've never really had the snow, but <laughs> uh, we've been really very close to that. Um, but but that's all far gone now. Um, we we can't we can't remember when last we really really had to you know go get those jackets that we we um, we used to use uh, back then. Um, it's really, really warmer. And that's giving rise to all manner of problems, including even affecting food production. Um, this, this state produces virtually um, any kind of food uh, that you can think of because the land is really fertile and the weather is conducive for most of the kind of food we eat. Uh, but in recent times, we've had lots of problems with um, farmers, um, um, complaining of uh, you know a lot of um, pest infestation on their farms, destroying their crops, you know, and giving them very little to harvest at the end of the day, which automatically in increases um, food 
um, insecurity. That is apart from places where we have severe rainfalls and flooding. That's apart from places where we have droughts, of course, which means um, food is a major problem in, in Nigeria at the moment um, as a result of, of climate change. We've also had lots of insecurity issues, um, people migrating from one part of the country to the other because they need livelihoods and because their occupation of livestock um, depends on good vegetation, which they can no longer get within their own uh, regions, bringing a lot of, of um, competition on the already existing um, natural resources like land and water. Um, so this this just uh, this just like um, um, a peak of the situation we have um, in Nigeria. But beyond that is also the fact that um, Nigeria seems to be stuck on its path of, of fossil fuel because it's for Nigeria the main source of revenue. And so it's considered as um, a, a, a dear need to continue in that venture. Um, unfortunately, most of the plants that are presently on ground for, for gas as a transitional fuel still does not necessarily include the, the phrase that um, is in the Glasgow part, which, which talks about um, countries that, um, that will need it, that will that we necessitate gas as a transitional fuel. Um, for a country like Nigeria, we're still looking at uh, gas as mostly for export and not necessary for localization, uh, which is still a major problem. Uh, we may not at this time be contributing massively to the um, to the emissions we have, um, but if, of course, Nigeria continues on this path, um, particularly for the purpose of industrialization, it is, it is likely that we'll be contributing hugely to, to emissions, um, even though we have a very interesting net zero um, um, target. Having said this, I, I, I believe very strongly that um, the climate issues that uh, we have in Nigeria are not just peculiar to Nigeria, but because of the poverty rates um, that we have in the country um, may just become worse in the next few years. Um, we, we really may be in a very big trouble um, as a country um, going forward on this path. Thank you, Jessica. Wow, thank you so much, Promise, and thank you for just, uh, uh, like, when you were speaking, I felt like I'm literally seeing what's happening, like, in Nigeria. So, like, this is, thank you for sharing that story with us. It's like we are able to, even though we are not in Nigeria, but we are able to have an idea uh, of what is going on uh, there in the face of uh, climate change. Uh, let me go to uh, Cyprian. How does uh, Kenya look like today in the face of uh, climate change? Thank you so much, uh, Jessica, for having me in this podcast. And um, yeah, the situation here in, in Kenya is, is really worrying, um, mostly when we talk of uh, issues of food security, uh, because uh, every day in the news, you know, like, what we are seeing is um, uh, people dying of hunger, um, losing their um, livestock, um, especially the, 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 the pastoral communities uh, who usually occupy the, the arid and semi-arid areas. 
the, the situation is, is really uh, not good uh, currently. And, um, you know, to worsen uh, things is that um, uh, the last two months are expected to be uh, rainy, rainy months. And um, they have mostly been dry in most uh, regions of the country. And that means um, also food, food uh, security is going to be a, a very big issue in the coming months. So basically, uh, in a snapshot, uh, that's what um, um, Kenya is experiencing at the moment uh, um, uh, as we speak. And, you know, the, the changes in weather patterns is really, really affecting most regions of the country as we speak. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Cyprian. And thank you for also sharing uh, that story, how Kenya looks like today. And uh, you've, uh, I think, brought out something very, very uh, important and uh, critical, the issue of uh, food uh, security being threatened uh, because of uh, uh, climate change. Thank you so much for, for that. Uh, Collins, how does Zambia look like uh, today when it comes to uh, climate change? Hi, Jessica. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Collins Lungu from Zambia. I, am, um, I coordinate a group of young people, uh, young Christian leaders who are involved in climate change. Um, we are called Zambia Youth Environmental Network. Um, uh, well, from a youth perspective, from a young person's perspective, um, the, the, the climate change in Zambia is taking tolls and it's, we are actually seeing its effect as, as we grow because uh, some of them are actually being evident. Um, Right now, there are talks about the, the load shedding that is happening, where people are saying that um, this is happening because of uh, the low water levels in our hydropower stations, uh, which are drawn from the Zambezi River mainly, which is um, shared between Zambia and Zimbabwe, um, like the Kariba Dam and, and all those. So we've, we've seen that people are saying that um, this is because people have continuously disturbed um, the water tables from the, the sources of these uh, big rivers in Zambia and uh, the government um, are not doing so much to protect uh, the, the, the forests because we are seeing uh, more and more uh, protected uh, forests being degazated, uh, change of land use and all that. So I feel that um, these are, are talks that we are actually seeing and you can actually point at because um, those are what are seeing that the climate change now that is being caused, rivers drying up, uh, water levels going low, um, underground water also uh, becoming low because uh, climate change is being propagated more by us as human beings. So this is one of uh, the examples of uh, the current situations in Zambia where load shedding is at its peak because um, of, of the effects of climate change. Um, but also we are seeing how um, the rain patterns has changed. Uh, we have seen how most of the issues are actually uh, not, not, not being dealt with because uh, most of uh, our governments are not taking keen interest. So I feel that um, seeing the, the, uh, the, the talks at, uh, at uh, COP27 and having attended the COP27, looking at the discussions that were going on, and now seeing the situation in our country, uh, I can actually say uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of uh, things that we need to actually tackle for us to actually reach uh, those levels because uh, I'm actually seeing these effects in Zambia where 
crops are failing, where uh, weathers are changing, weather patterns, farmers are, are not are getting as much yield. So I feel like climate change has got an all-round effect, especially in terms of farming, where Zambia depends highly on farming, and uh, we are seeing Zambia depends on hydropower station, and now we are having um, over six hours of lead shedding in, in most of our communities. So I think there are a lot of uh, effects that we can see from climate change um, in Zambia. Uh, thank you very much, Jessica. Okay, thank you so much, Collins, and thank you for that update. Um, so I think from from the conversations or from the uh, sharing of uh, how climate change looks like in the different countries that are represented today, uh, to some extent, there's always uh, like we are meeting at some point, like there's some similarity in one way or of the other, uh, which just shows that climate change is actually real and it is everywhere. Uh, obviously, maybe just people being affected differently, but uh, everyone is at least feeling the effects of uh, of climate change. And on today's episode, I was joined by uh, amazing people that are doing amazing uh, things in um, um, their countries, their respective countries. And I had a promise from uh, Nigeria, Ewi from Cameroon, uh, Cyprian from uh, Kenya, Collins from Zambia, and Matthias from Germany. And uh, we had an amazing conversation. So we'll be able to have another amazing episode of the Renewal Award podcast next time. But from me, your host, uh, Jessica, uh, thank you so much for joining and uh, join me on another episode. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to Renew Our World podcast. Be sure to visit our website at renewourworld.net. And if you love this episode, subscribe and learn more about Renew Our World campaign and some of what our members and friends are doing. Until next time, remember, you are God's child, made in his image, so smile.